Hey, everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. I want to ask you to do something before this message. Would you stand with me for a moment of prayer? A couple of reasons in my heart wants to go to prayer today. I'm sure you, like I, uh, were horrified when we saw that video yesterday. And I heard it was coming, but when I watched it, I got physically sick at my stomach. And it's hard for me to realize it's been 30 years since Rodney King. And we want to believe that we're getting somewhere. I'm so tired of the superficial answers that I hear. America's got an evil problem. And the only hope for America is to have a spiritual revival, a spiritual awakening. I think it's easy for us when we hear these things that are happening in our nation for us to say, well, that's not my problem. But I want to make you aware of what you know. The atheists are not going to pray for revival. The racists are not going to pray for revival. If we're going to have revival, we're going to have to pray for it. And so I want to ask you to join me in prayer. The second reason is I know I've got a message from God. This is, we, this is the fourth of four weekend services. And I've watched what God has done, and I want you to pray as I pray that God will speak to your heart. If you leave today and say, Mark, I heard Mark today, that's okay. But it's not what we need. We need to walk out of here today saying we heard from God. Father, there's no hope for America if we don't see a turning and a repentance. And, oh God, I pray that you'll help it to start with us. For you have said if your people, which are called by your name, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, that you would hear from heaven and heal our land. Father, We know from your scriptures, from how you interacted with Abraham, that if just a few people will be right with you, you will have mercy on a nation. Oh God, help us to be those people. Now, Lord, in this sermon that we're going to hear, I pray that you'll speak to our hearts as you choose, starting with my own heart. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. I believe you're about to hear one of the most important messages that you will ever hear in your life. I really believe that I preach the word of God as I seek to give you the whole counsel of God. But there are times when I know that God has given me a message. And about three months ago, as Mary Alice and I were reading through the book of Daniel, we came to chapter four, and as she was reading it, I felt that I heard the Holy Spirit say, this needs to be the last message of the Renew series. 
And I said, God, this message doesn't really go with the series. And God said, I'm not concerned about your series. <laughs> I want this preached. But the irony to that is I'm now about to preach in this fourth weekend service. I really don't know that I could have a more fitting message to close this series with than the message I'm about to bring called Leave the Stump. I've said to you beginning four weeks ago that it is the will of our God that we live in perpetual newness. And yet, so few people do. So few Christians do. So what is it that we need to know so that you and I can live every day in newness? The answer to that question is going to come to us from a story. And so because of that, and it's a lengthy story, I would like to have you, I, I would hope that you bring a Bible to New Spring, but I know that most of us read electronically today. So if you have an electronic device, I'd like for you to have this chapter available so that you can own these verses and that you can read the verses that I won't have time to get to. I'm in Daniel chapter four. And if this is the first time for you to use your electronic device, let me encourage you, the, one I'll, the site I love the most is Bible Hub. And so you can just Google that and then go to Daniel chapter four. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation or you'll see it NLT on there as well as also the New Spring Bible is. Now in a moment, I'm going to give you the story, but right in the middle of the story, there is a very peculiar statement. And our title of today's sermon comes from that peculiar statement. It's verse 23 where God says, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump. That's the title of the message today that God gave me, leave the stump. Now this is very strange. It is unusual language because for all of you who've had to get rid of a tree, that is the one thing that you don't do. You don't leave the stump. You don't leave the roots. You know why? because we want to get rid of it and let the grass grow over it so that anyone who looks at where that tree was will say there never was a tree here. Now God does unusual things and I think you know already that when God said this message, he was talking about a person. And I really do believe that one of the problems that people have with God is when they think about God judging us, they tend to think about God doing what we would do with a tree if we cut it down. We sort of have the idea in our human experience that if God has to deal with us so much so that he has to say, cut the tree down, we figure him to pull the stump, grind it, take out the roots, grow grass over it so it will be like we never lived at all. But how we misunderstand God, because God says, leave the stump. Now we got a lot of ground to cover, but right out of the box, I gotta tell you, this is one of the most peculiar chapters in the Bible. It is the fourth chapter of the book of Daniel. I love the book of Daniel. You may recall if you're a longtime New Springer back in 19, 2019, I brought the second iteration of the Clash of Dynasties uh, anthology called the, the Chronicles of Daniel. And I preached through the book of Daniel. Daniel is filled with prophecy. There are prophecies in Daniel. In fact, Daniel probably has more to say about the Antichrist and the last day's world kingdom than any place in the Bible. He wrote around somewhere around 600 to 500 BC. 
So it is a great book, and there is a whole lot there about God. In fact, there's even things about Jesus. In fact, I had a Jewish rabbi friend tell me there's actually a place in there that looks like it could be pointing to Jesus. And there are a lot of great stories. But when you come to chapter 4, it is the most unusual thing because Daniel does not write chapter 4. Daniel turns the pen over by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to somebody else. But it's a very, a very peculiar person that he turns the story over to. And we read in verse 1 who he hands the pen to and whose story all of chapter 4 is. King Nebuchadnezzar, verse 1, the Bible says, sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Who is Nebuchadnezzar? Who are we about to hear from? Just the most powerful man in the world. Because Nebuchadnezzar is the regent, he is the emperor, he is the king of the Babylonian empire, which is the first world empire. Nebuchadnezzar has conquered the world. But as we're going to see in verse 2, Nebuchadnezzar is going to tell us a God story. Now, we are surprised that Nebuchadnezzar wants to tell us a God story because if we look at his life, we don't see him having any kind of relationship with God because he is an evil man. Not only has he conquered the world, he has looted the world, and he has taken their stuff and built his kingdom out of it. And on top of that, he is the king of Babylon. Hey, in the Bible, anytime you read Babylon from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, Babylon is always represented as the anti-God empire. I mean, when you look at the last days, the empire of Antichrist, what does the Bible call it in Revelation, especially 17 and 18? It's called Babylon. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar rules Babylon. We don't expect him to have a God story. I mean, he's the one who destroyed the Jewish temple. He's the one who carried away the Jews. I mean, he's the one who took their best and brightest, like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and made them learn the Babylonian system. Hey, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those aren't even Jewish names. Those are names that he gave them, named after his gods. He built idol temples all over the city. How can he have a God story? And why on earth would God surrender the pen of Bible inspiration from Daniel over to King Nebuchadnezzar? But surprise, he has a God story. And I want you to hear it in verse 2. He said to every person in the world, which by the way, he could send a message to every person of every race of every nation because he ruled them all. He said, I want you to know about all the miraculous signs and wonders the Most High God has performed for me. This, this really gets my attention because King David would write a very similar line. I think about it all the time. David said, come and listen, and I will tell you what God has done for my soul. But all of a sudden, we have one of the most wicked people in the world who is saying to everybody, I want you to hear the great things that God has done for me. And he goes on to say in verse 3, his kingdom will last forever, his rule throughout all generations. Well, I got to hear the rest of this story. I got to hear how this, the last guy I would think about on earth, I got to hear about how he has a God story. So he starts off telling the story in verse 4. He said, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living in comfort and prosperity. Hmm, America. Oh, somebody's like, I don't live in prosperity. Have you, have you looked at how most of the world lives. Most of the world would have no idea what air conditioning is. A lot of the world wouldn't know what electricity is. I mean, we, I mean, you could just about name any ethnic food and we eat better versions of it than the people who live in those places. 
Nebuchadnezzar said, I was living in comfort and prosperity, but one night I had a vision that frightened me. I saw visions that terrified me as I lay in my bed. So I issued an order calling in all the wise men of Babylon so they could tell me what my dream meant. Well, they're no good. They're not going to be able to tell him what his dream means. It is interesting because Nebuchadnezzar has got a history with the most powerful man that he's promoted in his kingdom, a guy by the name of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar will say in this chapter, we're not going to read it, but Nebuchadnezzar could say that he knew that Daniel was connected to the Spirit of God. He was connected to the Holy Spirit. But Nebuchadnezzar doesn't call him in. He calls in all the fakes. Well, I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to give away part of this, but when Nebuchadnezzar starts telling his dream, I think he knew that God was telling him something that he needed to straighten out. And I think Nebuchadnezzar, like so many of us in 2023, he wanted a politically correct spin on it, and he knew that if Daniel came in, Daniel would tell him the truth. How many of us know something's not right in our lives, but we kind of push out the people who might tell us the truth, and we want people from, (laughs) we want people to tell us what will make us feel good. But the only problem is with those people, they can't help us. And, and they couldn't help Nebuchadnezzar. He brings in all those people that worshiped idol gods and all his mathematicians and his astrologers and soothsayers. And they just say, sir, we, we don't know what to do about this. So he does what he should have done in the first place. He calls the guy that he trusts the most in the kingdom, Daniel. And he said, Daniel, this is what I dreamed. Verse 10, I saw a large tree in the middle of the earth. The tree grew very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. That's a pretty tall tree. All the world was fed from this tree. Then as I lay there dreaming, I saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from the heaven. Well, if he knew this messenger was from God and a holy one, why didn't he call Daniel in? Because Daniel was connected, but we've already seen the answer to that question. The messenger shouted, cut down the tree. But leave the stump and the roots in the ground with a band of iron and bronze. Now let, now notice, notice how it changes to a personal pronoun. Now let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the wild animals for seven periods of time. That's seven years. Let him have the mind of a wild animal instead of the mind of the human. Now, one more time, I just want to remind you, Nebuchadnezzar is writing this story to everybody in the world. Well, when Daniel heard it, he was overcome because he loves Nebuchadnezzar. He's been working with him for a lot of years. Nebuchadnezzar is his boss. And Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream what happened to your enemies, my Lord, and not to you. But then he said these words, that tree, your majesty, is you. I'm not sure why God gave me this message. I don't know who it's for. I've never fully known. But I really do believe some of us are going to hear a voice that's outside of ourselves as we go through this story where God says, the tree is you. Could it be me? I mean, Daniel is saying to Nebuchadnezzar, sir, you're the guy who's in control. You're the guy who's large in in charge. But you haven't learned what you needed to learn. All all these things have happened, and you're not picking up what God wants you to see. God has decided, sir, according to this dream, that you're going to hit a wall. You're going to crash. And although you feel like you're in control of the whole world, you're you're going to hit such a wall 
that it's going to be embarrassing and the whole world is going to know that the guy who's supposed to control the world can't even control his own thinking. When I go to the next verse, which is verse 25, there's an expression that occurs twice and it just jumps off the page to me. Daniel says, seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn. Until you learn. Have you learned what you need to know? And Mark, I've been in church. I've been, I, 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 I know my Bible. I read my Bible. Have you learned? Have you learned what you need to know? It's so easy to learn what other people need to know. But have you learned? I mean, Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, sir, you're going you to have to live that way. And, and where you can't control your mind and you can't think straight. You're going to have to live that way until you learn that the most high rules. But the stump means that you will receive your kingdom back again when, here we go again, when you have learned. I really believe, as I believed every time I brought this message this weekend, for anyone watching television, watching online, in either one of our auditoriums, I really believe there are some people here today who, for the first moment, you know, you, you, you may not reveal it, you may never want to reveal it, but you, you're hearing in your heart and mind, this message is for me. This message is for me. Well, the reason why I think it's important for us to check on that, because what comes next is huge. Daniel says in verse 27, so king, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Stop doing bad things and be kind to poor people. Then you might continue to be successful. I mean, heads up, what we see right now is this has all been a warning. This, in other words, everything that God has shown Nebuchadnezzar in the, in the dream about the tree cutting down, it doesn't have to happen. I've hit a wall a couple of times. I mean, I've told you the story of 12 years ago when after years of exhaustion and years of not treating anxiety and ADD, I just crashed. I mean, there was no, I, mean, I didn't even see it coming. I didn't even know what it was about. All of a sudden, I just couldn't think straight. And you know what? When I look back on that, I got warnings. There were several warnings. I remember Mary Alice and I were at dinner about six months before over to Buelos with, with with two people that I, I knew were people of God. And the lady was a Christian communicator and she just, and she's known me for a long time. And she looked across the table to me and said, you're not taking care of yourself. You're not taking time off. And she kept pressing me and she kept telling me about, about taking a Sabbath. And I finally said to her, I don't want to hear anymore. I don't recall ever saying that to anybody before, but I said, that, that, that's enough. And six months later, I hit that wall. See, I believe there's a wall out there with your name on it. You say, Mark, I'm a God follower. So was I. You say, Mark, I, as far as I know my life, I don't have any habits that are just terrible inside of God. Okay, I don't know about that either. I just know this. I just know I didn't listen to the warning and there was a wall out there with my name on it. And I'm telling you, would you hear the heart of a pastor who is telling you today that if you haven't learned what you need to learn, there is a wall out there that's got your name on it, but you don't have to hit it because my guess is anybody I'm talking to, you know you've gotten warnings. 
and you know what they are. It could be somebody that you love telling you something you didn't want to hear. It could be you sitting in this service. It could even be something very peculiar that's just between you and God. And it just something happened that was very different. And it was as if the Spirit of God said, you better pay attention to this. But when I get to the verse, verse 28, the first word just kind of makes my stomach turn cold because it said, but all these things did happen. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar didn't pay attention. Twelve months later, verse 29, and again, remember, Nebuchadnezzar's writing this story. Twelve months later, he looked out across the city. He said, look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. I don't think he talked to anybody necessarily. He just looked at that and said, look at what I've done. I did it all. I did it with my power, and I did it for me. That's very 2023 American, isn't it? I did it. I did it with my intelligence and my strength, and I did it for me. It's mine. <laughs> well, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon were something. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar's nickname in the world was Nebuchadnezzar the Great. I mean, study history. He conquered the whole world. He was the regent for the first world empire. It was the greatest city in the world. It was the first mega metropolis. We believe there were millions of people that lived in Babylon. It was the epitome of technology and engineering. Herodotus, you remember him from college? I don't know how much of Herodotus I can believe. Seems to exaggerate a little bit to me. But Herodotus said there were 52 miles of wall all around the city in yellow and blue painted glazed brick. I mean, there were building projects everywhere. There was a canal system. There were, the, the Euphrates River ran right through the middle of town and ferries went back and forth all day long. I mean, it's where the Hanging Gardens, one of the wonders of the seven wonders of the ancient world were. There were towers everywhere. There were, there, there were over 100 temples to pagan gods. I mean, it was something to see. And Nebuchadnezzar stood back and he said, and like I said, it doesn't say anybody ever heard him except God, but Nebuchadnezzar said, I did this. I did it with my strength. And then I did it for me. And this is, this is something we might not articulate, but you know, one of the things about the human spirit is we want credit for what we do. And God forbid that somebody else should take credit for what we do. While these words, verse 31, were still in his mouth, a voice called down from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, you are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You are fired. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals and you will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time, seven years will pass while you live this way until you learn. And the Bible says that same hour, it happened. If anybody here knows what that's like, you know how you can be perfectly fine on a day where you seem to be thinking just fine and then all of a sudden something goes snap. And that's what happened to this powerful regent, this person who was large and in charge. He was the adult in the room. He was the guy who made it happen. He was the guy that ruled the world. And suddenly he can't even rule his own mind. And he begins to behave like an animal. And the Bible says his nails grew long for all of you who are old like me. And you remember Howard Hughes? And his hair became matted like bird's hair. And it was an embarrassment. And all of a sudden, everybody who was at the top of this huge empire, they're like, we don't know what happened to the king. He just snapped. And we kind of have to keep him. We kind of have to keep him away from everybody. Does the story end there? I mean, 
It wouldn't be the first story in history about a weird ruler who went crazy. If you've ever studied the Roman Empire, there were a bunch of them that did that. So is that the end of the story? We wouldn't be telling this story if it was. We'd be preaching about something else today. But Nebuchadnezzar did four things that I want to talk to you about, and then we'll be finished with this message today that God gave me. When Nebuchadnezzar came back, the first thing that he did was he put his focus in a different place. You read what I read. You saw. You don't need me to preach it. Where was he looking when he said, I did this with my strength for me? He was looking horizontally. He was looking at Babylon. But after seven years of being out there lying and rolling around in the grass and trying to eat the grass and not being able to think clearly, the Bible says this in verse 34, after this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. Now notice, we're about to go on a trip here with a four-point progression that is worth, if you had to drive a thousand miles to be here today, for your mental health, for my mental health, what we're about to learn in this four-point progression is massive. Notice that he said, I looked up to heaven and my sanity returned. In other words, when he got his mind off himself, when he got his mind off his situation, the crazy way he was thinking, he started thinking about God. And the first thing that happened was his sanity returned. Now look at verse 36. When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor. Now the word honor in the Bible is a wonderful word. It almost always means value. Now I want to tell you something. It is not healthy. It is not a healthy self-image to be a narcissist. You show me a narcissist and I'll show you an insecure person. They, they sound like they're very proud. They sound like they're very arrogant. But when you hear a narcissist talking, what you're hearing is somebody that does not have a healthy self value. But it is apparent to me that when Nebuchadnezzar got his mind off of himself and he looked up to heaven, then his sanity returned. And when his sanity returned, then he was able to see himself. When he saw God for who God was, he was able to see himself for who he was. He was able to see himself with a proper self-worth and self-value. When he turned to God, when he looked to heaven, his sanity returned. Number two, or number two, his sanity returned. Number three, his honor. And then number four, he said, my noble sought me out and I was restored. Did you see how that progression began with turning our eyes on God and off ourselves? Number two, after Nebuchadnezzar turned his focus on God, the Bible says Nebuchadnezzar glorified God. Verse 34, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven and I praised and worshiped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. Now, someone could say, Mark, I know what glorifying God is. We just did that a few moments ago in worship. That is true. But I will tell you that glorifying God is more than singing a song. Let, let me tell you what glorifying God is. If you've ever heard that expression, some of you may be new to, to faith and you hear about somebody glorifying God. W what exactly does that mean? This is real easy. Because you see, before Nebuchadnezzar crashed and hit the wall, Nebuchadnezzar was big and God was small. Life was about what Nebuchadnezzar thought. It was about what Nebuchadnezzar wanted. Nebuchadnezzar was big. Whenever he thought about God, it was just occasionally when he needed him. God was small. 
But you know what? After rolling around in the grass for seven years, not being able to think clearly, there was a moment where God got very big to Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar got small. That's what he meant when, I, when he said, I glorified God. But I want you to notice one of the most peculiar things. In verse 36, he said, I was restored as head of my kingdom with even greater honor than before. There is something that happens in your life when God got, gets big and you get small. The strange thing is you get bigger. Because now all of a sudden, it's not just you by yourself. It's what God is doing. And you see that so clearly. Nebuchadnezzar said, I glorify God. God got big. I got small. But then I got more honor than ever before. And now number three. In this crash, God became personal to Nebuchadnezzar. Now, why is this important? I'm talking to somebody here today watching on television, watching online. And you believe in God. But it's not personal. You don't, you don't have a relationship with God. Your, your mom told you about God, and you know she believed in God. Or maybe you went to church, and it was a Baptist church, and they talked about God, and you learned some things. Or you, you grew up Catholic, and you heard about God, and learned some facts and some good things, but God's never been really your God. This is not Nebuchadnezzar's first rodeo with God. I mean, we're in chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar's already had some experiences with God. I mean, in chapter 2, when this was years before, when Daniel was young, Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. And in his dream, he sees something really weird. There's this big, tall statue of a man. The head is gold. The arms and the chest are, are silver. And the torso is bronze. And the legs are iron. The toes are iron and clay. And has no idea what this means. And, and he, he calls in his intelligentsia, like we saw a few moments ago. And he said, tell me the dream and tell me what it means. And they said, there's nobody on the earth who can do that. He's going to whack them all. Daniel's a young guy. He's never met Daniel before. And God gives Daniel the interpretation. Daniel goes in and tells him what the dream is. He said, sir, you're looking at the future of the world. Your empire is the head of gold. The, the, the chest of silver, that's the next empire. It would be the Medes and the Persians. And then he said the torso is bronze. That would be Greece under Alexander the Great. And the legs were iron, and, and that's, that's the Roman Empire. And then the toes of iron and clay, that's the last day empire of the Antichrist. So Daniel says, sir, this is, this is what it is. And so Nebuchadnezzar, is, he's, he's amazed by that. But look at the language in chapter 2. He said, truly, your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings, and a revealer of mysteries. In other words, you're, you're, Daniel, your God is, is amazing, but it's your God. But you know what? Here's the deal. Some people have an encounter with God, but they're never changed. It's just for that moment. It's just for when they were scared. Because in chapter 3, we notice Nebuchadnezzar goes right back to his old stuff. Because remember in chapter 3, that's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not bowing down to the statue. Well, what is the statue? It is this huge statue of a man that's made of all gold. You get the point? Nebuchadnezzar says, thank you, God. I heard what you had to say. You know what? I don't think my kingdom is, is ever going to end. There's not going to be any arms of silver, chest of silver. There's not going to be any torso of bronze. There's not going to be any legs of iron, toes of iron and clay. God, it, I, I'm going to be here forever. I thank you for your advice. I'm going to do this my way. And that's when he demanded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego bow. And they wouldn't. And he said he'd throw them in the furnace. And when he did, they didn't burn because Jesus showed up. Now I want you to listen to Nebuchadnezzar's language. 
praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. It's still the God of somebody else. It's still the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But all these moments passed, and he went back to being the same guy he was. But notice how different this is. He is writing to everybody in the world, and he's saying peace and prosperity to everybody. I want you to know about the miraculous things that God has done for me. It's not, it's not Daniel's God anymore. That's the reason why God has taken the pen out of Daniel's hand and put it in Nebuchadnezzar's hand, because Nebuchadnezzar's got a story. He wants to tell the whole world about how God became his God. Is he your God today? You can know about him and not know him. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar had a whole lot of facts about God. We've read some of them. But now he knows him. And now I close with this. This is my favorite point. I don't know if I have any brothers and sisters here. I don't know if there's anybody here who's hit a wall before. And it kind of broke you down. And you weren't sure the sun was ever going to shine again. But then God reached down with his power and he brought you out of it. You know what I'm about to say is true. Now, there are a lot of people that don't know it yet. They'll know it someday. It is, here's the fourth thing. It is interesting to me that people who are restored by God are never ashamed to tell you about the pit that God brought them out of. It would be human nature to be embarrassed about it, to find some kind of way to euphemize it, to make it sound like it, it, it no big deal. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar could have just said, guys, I was worn out. I was stressed out. I just needed some time off. But he didn't. Here is this king who takes over the pen of holy inspiration. And he's writing and he's saying, I want everybody to know about what God has done for me. And Nebuchadnezzar starts writing about how he didn't listen to God's warning, hit the wall, crashed, and begin to behave like an animal. That's not the kind of thing that kings write about. But you see, in that crash, in that moment, Nebuchadnezzar met God. And he is perfectly glad to tell you how low he got before God brought him out. Like the psalmist said, he digged me out of the miry clay, brought me out of the pit, and set me on a rock. I mean, I love Daniel 4.1. King Nebuchadnezzar sent this message to the people of every race, every nation, and language throughout the world. But there's a consistency here. Because I've long loved that when I read the stories of people in the Bible who crashed and burned, oftentimes the only way we know that story is they told it. I mean, how do we know that Peter denied the Lord three times? How do we know that he cussed the last time? How do we know that there was a moment where while Jesus was being beaten and tortured, that Jesus turned and looked at him? How do we know that Peter ran off and cried bitterly? We know it because Peter told us. When he was preaching in the early days of the church, he would say to those people, you don't know how low sin can take you. It took me so low that I denied the Lord. On the night of his arrest, I denied him. And I went out and cried. But you know what? He brought me back. How do we know that Jonah threw a hissy fit when God refused to whack the people of Nineveh? I mean, that's embarrassing to read that stuff with Jonah 
And Jonah's pouting and going out there, and God asks him, are you right to be angry? And Jonah said, yeah, I'm, I'm mad enough to die. How do we know about that? Nobody in Nineveh wrote that story. Jonah came back, and when he was preaching, he said, you know what anger will do to you? You know, let me tell you what it did to me. How do we know that Elijah got to the place after Carmel where he blamed God for coming up short on everything so much so that he wanted to die? And God had to tell him, I got 7,000 who've never bowed the knee to Bill. How do we know that? That's embarrassing. We know it because Elijah told us. See, there's just something. When God has brought you out of a pit, you don't mind being embarrassed. You don't mind, you don't mind telling people how you failed and how you came up short because you see the end of the story is that God brought you out. And there's something about encountering God for yourself that is so powerful that you're not ashamed at all to tell people about the pit you were in. Some of you know what I'm talking about here today. Well, I'm in overtime and I have to close. When the Holy Spirit gave me this message three months ago, I felt like God dictated two lines to me. I don't want to freak you out. He didn't write it on the wall of my house. He didn't say it out loud. But I'll tell you this, I sure wrote them down real fast. And this is so simple. For the rebel, there's only one message. And by the way, when I talk about rebel, I don't want you to think about a devil worshiper out there because let me tell you what percentage rebellion can affect here today. 100. Rebellion just says, I'm going to do this my way. God, I don't care what you say. And I got to tell you what, you can be a preacher and do that. Trust me. Just God, I want to do this my way. For the rebel, there is one message today, and it's this. God can bring you down. You say, but Mark, I'm large and in charge. He can still bring you down. Mark, I just went to the doctor and the doctor gave me perfect physical. God can still bring you down. You say, Mark, I'm the smartest per person where I work. Congratulations, but God can bring you down. You can be here today and you're like, I don't even know why I'm here. I'm here because my girlfriend... He wants me to come to New Spring. I get it. I get it. I'm not trying to flip you off. I love you enough to tell you, God knows where you live. He knows your social security number. And God can bring you down. Hey, I'm not pointing the finger out. I know what it's like to be brought down. For the rebel here today, this is your warning from God for some of you. You're, you're right that close to the edge. God can bring you down. The second message that God gave me is for the person who is down today. And you may have hit that wall. And you may not be rolling around in the grass like Nebuchadnezzar, but you're not in a good place. I have the privilege of giving you a message from heaven that says the Lord can bring you back. He can bring you back. He, he, see, he doesn't pull the stump and grind it and let grass grow and say you never existed. He wants to bring you back. You longtime New Springers know I love 2 Samuel 14, 14. 
The Bible says we must each die and disappear like water poured out on the ground, but God doesn't take our lives. Instead, and I love this line, he figures out ways of bringing us back when we run away. I have my personal Bible here that I read from every day. Can you find one place in this book where anybody, regardless of what he or she did, can you find one place in this book where someone asked God to forgive them and God said no? You cannot. Whether it's a woman at a well who's been married five times and sleeping with a man who won't give her his name, whether you're talking about a guy dying on the cross who's a thief and a terrorist who only has a few minutes left to live, you cannot find a person that asks God for forgiveness and asks God for restoration, and God said no. It's not true. He will say yes. You cannot be so far away from God that he cannot bring you back. If you're down today, it is my joy to tell you that God can bring you back. Well, I've got to quit. I'm way over time. Thank you for staying. Can I have a couple, two or three more minutes? I will leave this weekend and I will know that I delivered the message that God had. You know what I love about this story? I mean, in the language we used to use, I think Nebuchadnezzar got saved. I think we're going to see this bad boy in heaven when we get there. I want to talk to him. I just want to sit by the river up there in heaven and say, hey, you know, I wrestle with anxiety too. Can you tell me about those seven years? I believe his life got transformed when he met the real God. You know what? You could be here today and say, Mark, I'm not sure I have a personal relationship with God. You can take care of that in the next few seconds. Because you see, God wants you to have a relationship with him. He wants you to know him personally. Look at what he did to bring Nebuchadnezzar to him. The Bible says that you're a sinner and I'm a sinner, as is everyone. Our sin stands in between us and God. But God didn't want it to stay there. He sent his son Jesus to take care of that sin and move it out of the way so we could have a relationship. God in skin. Jesus came, ran the table for 33 years, never did one thing wrong, took that perfect life and laid it on a cross. And the way God saw it, the blood that came out of his body was a currency that paid for everything you and I have ever done wrong. Three days later, he walked out of the grave under his own power, proving who he was. And right now, God's got a deal on the table. It's time sensitive. But God has an offer on the table. And it goes like this. If you will come just like you are, don't try to fix yourself up. If you will come like you are and declare spiritual bankruptcy and say that you have nothing to bring, but you've put all your confidence in Jesus, not in the religion, in Jesus, then he'll come into your life and you'll be God's daughter, you'll be God's son. I'm going to pray a prayer that asks for this. It's a gift. And if you want to, you can pray it with me. Not to pray out loud. I'm going to put a little break in between each line so you can decide if you want to say this to God. Would you pray with me, please? Dear God, I am a sinner, but I believe you love me very much. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. And since Jesus is alive, I want him to be my savior. I want him to be my boss. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for making me your child. In Jesus' name, amen. Give me a few more seconds. If you just pray with me online, on television, or in any of our auditoriums here on campus, I have a gift for you. No strings attached. There's a New Spring Bible in here, a book I wrote that'll answer a lot of questions called My New Walk with God, some other cool things. 
All you got to do is text PRAY to 97000. If you're here on campus, you can go out to any info center and take it home with you today. Now, I just need a few more seconds, please. This is the last time I'll see you except first Wednesday for the next four weeks because Jonathan is going to lead us to the next series, which is a great series called Balance. Our church gives me a sabbatical every year, and I never take it because I love being here so much, but I promised it to Mary Alice. So for the next four weeks, we're going to take some time off. i got a couple of big series that I really do want to study and stay before God for. As soon as I get back, we have a series in March called Coffee with Jesus. Can't wait for that. And then, of course, in the summer, I'm doing Clash of Dynasties for the book of Revelation. So God bless. I won't see you for a while. Except first Wednesday. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.